Thank you for downloading this sermon from Trinity Presbyterian Church in Spartanburg, South Carolina. For more information about Trinity, visit our website at www.trinityspartanburg.com. Open your Bibles to Philippians chapter 2. One of the places that uh, I want to look at. But when, when, when I mention the humiliation of Jesus, what comes to mind? What do we mean when, when, we, when we talk about the humiliation of Jesus? That he was divine and he humbled himself. That's, a, that's pretty good. From, from when? From the start of... Okay. Right. The catechism says born, born, born. Okay. First, wrapped up, mistress, death, under the power of death. That's right. Now, when we say humiliation, what what do we think of? What do we think that word means when we say humiliation? That's it's a word that we sort of have to wrap our heads around because when we say humiliation, we often think of humiliating circumstances that we've been in ourselves, And that's not exactly what, what we mean when we speak of Jesus' humiliation. Um, it's not embarrassment, in other words. It's not the, the, um, the unfeeling comment that your spouse made at the dinner party and you felt humiliated, right? You felt embarrassed. That's not what, it's not necessarily... And, uh, and not what we're talking about here. It's not embarrassment, but, but the, the catechism says that Jesus descended into an estate of humiliation, right? Or a status of humiliation. And so th- this, is, this is a, um, uh, I, I think a status is the best way for us to talk about it. There is... It, and, and a status of great condescension. Not condensation. I almost said conden, condescension. Right? That, that he came from such a high and elevated and lofty position and then down to, I mean, a Psalm 22 position. I am a worm and not a man. Right, abject poverty, in a sense. So, so he goes from a high estate to a um, or a high condition down to a low condition. A uh, and and the way that Philippians describes it is this setting aside, this um, this emptying, right, of his glory. Now, Philippians 2 describes both Jesus' estate of humiliation and then his estate of, what's the corresponding? Exaltation, right? So he goes from humiliation and then in the resurrection, the estate of exaltation. 
Right? So look at Philippians 2. We'll begin at the beginning of it. Therefore, if there is any encouragement in Christ, if there is any consolation of love, if there is any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and compassion make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose, do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind regard one another as more important than yourselves, Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who although he existed in the form of God, so that's talking about this this exalted status that Jesus had. He exists in the form of God. He is equal to the Father and the Holy Spirit, right? Have this attitude in yourselves, which is in Christ, who, although he exists in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself. I mean, even that, even before it describes Jesus in the, in the ways that he emptied himself, before we even get to that, just the fact that he existed in the form of God, but he didn't regard that as something to be grasped, clung to, hung on to in the face of a sinful people that needed to be redeemed. Right? Which would mean that he was going to have to do what he agreed with his father before the foundation of the world to do. So he emptied himself. How? Taking the form of a slave, a bondservant, being made in the likeness of men, Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And then from there, in verse 9, it switches and talks about, for this reason God highly exalted him, right? And every knee will bow and tongue will confess Jesus is Lord. And so we begin to see this this, this, this state of humiliation. Um, Like... Like Dr. Hollis said, the Westminster Catechism 27 asks, what, it, what was Jesus' humiliation? What, or, as the Presbyterian would put it, wherein did Christ's humiliation consist? And the answer they give is this. Christ's humiliation consisted in his being born. And that in a low condition. What is the low condition of Jesus' birth? Is that what that's talking about? No, no, I'm just... It is. Right? I mean, I mean, um, a low condition, being born, um, I mean, born of a woman, born as any other man is born, I mean, that in and of itself, this is, this is God Almighty passing through the birth canal. Right, and then born into this this low condition, and and there there's more to that low condition. I mean, is this a rich family? Is this Pharaoh's household? Is this what Moses got to experience? No. No, there there's, I mean, this is a poor family from where? Nazareth, and does that? Yeah, can anything good come from Nazareth? 
Right? He's from the backwoods, and that's, that's the, that is the family that God decides his son will be born into. Think of that. Made under the law, the one who wrote the law, the one who demands that man follow the law, is made under the law. And is now obeying the laws he made for us to obey. In the flesh he is obeying those laws, undergoing the miseries of this life. Like what? What are the miseries of this life? Creaky bones, hunger and thirst. He was tired. He witnessed death. He grieved when Lazarus died. There was grief. Right? He saw, yeah, he saw resistance everywhere. He saw the hardness of man's heart. He, he had siblings who thought what of him? Thought he was crazy and wanted to get him locked up. You think they got resentful like <laughs> Joseph's brothers got resentful of him? Okay, so made under the law, undergoing the miseries of of this life, undergoing the wrath of God. What is that speaking of? Punishment for sin. It's the cross. It's Jesus, Jesus bearing the wrath of his Father that he had only known peace and joy through eternity with. Right? And becoming... The very, the very curse, becoming sin, right? The wrath, undergoing the wrath of God and the cursed death of the cross. Now, why is the cross part of Jesus' humiliation? What is it about the cross? Why does this passage, Philippians 2, say, and what does it say? Right? Obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And the law, and the very law of God says, it's a curse, right, to die on the tree. It is, it is, um, it is a curse. It is humiliating in its in its form, and and it's Jesus didn't die like in a glorious. I mean, he did. Don't get me wrong. He didn't die in a glorious battle with the Romans, right? This this blaze of glory on a battlefield. He died on a cross. It was humiliating. It was absolutely humiliating. And so he dies the cursed death of the cross. And it also consists in this. His humiliation consists in his being buried. Think of that. The Son of God takes on the flesh, 
He's divine. He's human. He is, he is the Son of Man, the Son of God. He dies a humiliating death, and his body is cast into a grave. This is the Son of God. His body is lying there. And then it says this, this humiliation consists in continuing under the power of death for a time. Not only is his body in the grave, but he's under the power of death. He's, I mean, your thoughts begin to have thoughts at this point, I understand. How does the eternal Son of God, you know, the eternal living God, um, die like this. The proof text that they use for that last one is Matthew 12.40. Let's check out how the um, Westminster Divines did. Matthew 12.40, which says this. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the sea monster, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Speaking of his burial in that tomb, that tomb, and that's like the whale's gut. Um, And they also use 1 Corinthians 15, which is the death and resurrection passage, right? 15, 3-4, For I delivered to you of first importance that uh, what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that He was buried, and that He was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures, and that He appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve, and after that He appeared to more than 500 brethren at one time. And so He died. So, I mean, again, we, why do, going back to, to Philippians 2, All of which, this encapsulates all the things that I just said. Right? Jesus was brought very, very low. And Now, why is it important for us to, to meditate, to think on these things? Um, again, no one, no one has descended lower because of descending from such height. Right? He was the eternal God. And he descended to do this. And uh, Isaiah 53.3, right? Another passage that speaks of the humiliation of Christ. He was despised and rejected of men. He's a man of sorrows. He's acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces. Think of, the, think of his humiliation on the cross. It's not enough that he's sitting there becoming the curse and bearing the wrath of God, but, but he's being mocked. He's being spit upon. They're calling out to him to come down from the cross. And as as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. And so all these ways his estate of humiliation consists. His human flesh... Think of the fact that he was sustained by the milk of his mother, nourished at her breast. He was a baby. He was in a manger. Um, his birth was, though announced by stars, was not observed by many. 
Um, He was born in a poor household. He was born in Nazareth. He was taught and disciplined by his parents. And he learned obedience through the things that he suffered. But nonetheless, they they were teaching him. And he was taught. Um, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. I mean, that's what he says to somebody who wants to follow him. And the one who follows him says, yeah, yeah, I'm with you. And he says, I don't even have a place to lay my head down. I mean, how much lower can the Son of God go? He submitted to John the Baptist. He submitted to John the Baptist, right? John the Baptist said, look, I need to be baptized by you. And he said, no, this is to fulfill all righteousness. You're gonna be- you must baptize me. And so the Son of God is baptized by a man, John the Baptist. His family thought he was out of mind. You can confirm that in Mark 3.21. Um, he did not use all of his power. He, he was treated as, as a criminal. Think of that. Falsely treated as a criminal. False accusations when he's on trial are brought against him. No, he has not even once done what? Sinned, let alone done anything that would have been punishable by a court, right? He's treated as a criminal, he's falsely accused, and then he has to undergo a mock trial, the unblemished Lamb of God going through a false trial. I mean, think of how, I mean, think of some of the trials that you've watched and you know justice is not being done and how just, It twists you up inside, right? Well, multiply that times a hundred, a thousand for the Lord Jesus. He was betrayed by one of his intimate twelve. Betrayed by a close confidant friend. Betrayed by the man who ran the books for his ministry. <laughs> if I could put it so crassly. But that is what Judas did. He kept the, the money bag. And he's betrayed how? I mean, think of this. How is Jesus betrayed? With a kiss. The kiss is what? It's a signal to those Roman soldiers that he's the one to arrest. So he's betrayed by one of his one of the men that he had been close to, spent days and nights together with. He's betrayed by a kiss. When he is mocked, how does he respond? With silence. When Peter cuts off the ear of Malchus, what does Jesus say to him? Don't you know that I have a legion of angels at my command? Put the sword back in the sheath. You're not accomplishing the purposes of God. That's my loose paraphrase, but I think I got most of it in there. Right? 
But Jesus says, do you not know that I have legions of angels? And yet, he does not exercise that authority. He's spit upon by by slaves. He's delivered to death, death on a cross, public execution outside the city, outside the gates. Psalm 69, 20-21, Reproaches have broken my heart. Think of, think of that, these words being the mind of Jesus revealed to us. Reproaches have broken my heart so that I am in despair. I looked for pity, but there was none. And for comforters, but I found none. They gave me poison for food. And for my thirst, they gave me sour wine to drink. Jesus looked for comfort and there was none for him to have. What had he known? He had known the un, un, unblemished love of his father. And now he's hanging on the tree, cursed. cursed. The wrath of God is, is pouring out upon him. And he looks for comfort. And there's nothing. There's nothing for him. Mark Jones makes this point in his book on knowing Christ. He says, as he hung upon the cross, his threefold office of being prophet, priest, and king, all of them were blasphemed. Of his role as a prophet, we are told, Then they spit on his face and struck him, and some slapped him, saying, Prophesy to us. Of the king, they jeer him and say, He is king of Israel, let him come down. Of the priest, they say to him, He saved others, but he can't save himself. So they're mocking all of his offices. In those words that are said to him as he hangs on a tree redeeming mankind. Every one of his offices, every, every glory that, that could be attributed, they're taking down and not allowing. 1 Peter 5, 6 says this. Humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you at the proper time. Christ This is where I transfer into application, right? Christ humbled himself. And I know I keep pounding on pride. The reason I keep pounding on pride is because I see my own pride all the time. Okay, Christ humbled himself and we are proud. Christ descended to such depths from such heights. How? Hey, I'm preaching, Michael. Um, that sounded like you. Oh man, that's so weird. Um, but he 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 descended so so infinitely more than we we would ever need to would ever have to, right? Hebrews 
12.2 says he, did, he, he humbled himself for the joy that was set before him. Um, why was all this done? Why did he do this? He did this that, we, um, that he might take our flesh and redeem us. That is the whole purpose of the humiliation of Christ. To take our flesh, to redeem flesh. To take our flesh to become man so that man could become glorified. So that we might be exalted, he descended to such depths as he descended. Thomas Watson in his Body of Divinity says, Jesus, having taken our flesh, has ennobled our nature. Our nature is now invested with greater royalties and privileges than in time of innocence. Right? Time before the fall. He says, before in innocence, we were made in the image of God. But now, Christ, having assumed our nature, we are made one with God. Our nature is ennobled above angelic nature. In other words, Jesus now has flesh. And his, his flesh is glorified. He's dignified man in a way that, that hadn't been done prior to the fall. And it's a, it's a striking thought, isn't it? It's a striking thought in this, that the humiliation of Christ leads to your good and to your exalting and to your being ennobled and for your nature being raised up in Christ. Hebrews also says this. It goes through, it says Jesus did this... Um, he despised the shame, right? He, he descended. He, um, he did it for the joy set before him. And then the statement that it makes uh, shortly after that. I may as well just turn there. It says, For consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. And then it says, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding blood and you're striving against sin and you have forgotten the exhortation which is addressed to you as sons. But that statement, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding blood and you're striving against sin, that is the height or the depth of the humiliation of Jesus. His blood was shed. As he bore the wrath of God, his blood fell upon the ground. And so he strove against sin to the point of shedding his own blood. And so, I mean, think about this. However low God pushes us, I mean, think of this. However low God pushes us, however much he pushes down on us, which we know is his discipline for our good. That's the next part of Hebrews. But however much he pushes down upon us, it's not as low as Jesus, because that origin is not so high. And think of this, God is mindful that we are dust. He's mindful that we're dust as he presses down upon us. And we have a sympathetic high priest who has taken on the likeness of sinful flesh. And so knows, knows temptation, right? And then, then also this. Praise, praise your elder brother. 
Right? Jesus as the elder brother. And the reason I call him elder brother is because he is our, we're sons of God. Right? He is a brother. He's described as that in Scripture. But it also, it, it also brings it close to us. Praise your elder brother. He's done humiliating work for you. He's done humbling, the most humbling work that was ever done. He's done it for you. And he loves you. He did that work because of his love for you. I mean, what would Jesus not do for you? Think of what he's done. How would he not also give us all that we need? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for Jesus. We praise him as the the humble and glorious Lamb of God. Father, to think that, that all that he did, he did for those who were enemies of you, engaged in evil deeds, hostile in mind, And yet, Christ died for the ungodly. Christ Christ justified sinners. Father, we thank you for the work that he did in emptying himself and humbling himself for the salvation of your people. Father, I pray that the message of Jesus and his humiliation powerful work would would be our joy and it being our joy that we would speak to people about the wonder of the Son of God dying for sinners. Father, I pray that this would always be on our tongues and that we would always speak of our glorious Savior. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.